Welcome to Playwright, a podcast about creating and sharing new ways to play. My name is Ryan Heyman. You can call me H. And I am the Count of the Dark Planet. <laughs> I'm Ryan. Which planet, is that? Which planet do you think is the darkest? If uh, you had to, uh... It's simple. It's Pluto. It's no longer a planet. It's the darkest <laughs> planet of all. Comes in and out of being a planet, but uh, yeah, it that's, shows that's up fair. for a second. Yeah, and then it goes away. That's its whole. That's its jam. Pluto. Pluto is the friend that ghosts at your at your party. It's the lurker of planets. <laughs> that's right. Just here for the comments, guys. I'll be I'll be back out in my non-planetary state any moment now. As you alluded to, this week is the celebration of one of my favorite holidays, Halloween. Uh, We are uh, releasing this episode on Tuesday the 30th, and so that'll give you one day to prepare all of your uh, Halloween costumes based on our pitches, as is the tradition. (laughs) Yes, that's right. We're going to do a lot of... This episode is going to be our Halloween sort of lore dump that will contain (laughs) all, all the backstory that you need to know to make a proper... Uh, either playwright costume based on one of our famous characters. Maybe you go as Wiggling Joe for Halloween, in which hmm. case send us your pictures of you as Wiggling Joe. Tweet us at Playwright Cast, um, or you could just dress up as is you know me or H here, and that's also acceptable. <laughs> I please be respectful. I guess is all I can say <laughs> in that scenario. I I don't know what you're talking about. I'm a very good looking individual, so you know. Do your worst, internet. Okay, that's fair. You're classically handsome, so I'm going to just sit back and hope that nobody picks me as the Uh, dress-up. I'll I'll pick you every time for my costume. That's so sweet. You came in looking a little terrified today. Uh, Did you have some sort of an encounter that people might encounter on another another channel? Yeah, I'm shook. To be honest with you, I, uh, as you know, um, Darren um, reached out to you and I to be on a mm-hmm. uh, special edition, a Super Smash Brothers edition of Sound of Play, the video game music I was on podcast. the first uh, Super Smash Bros. special, and so it only makes sense to invite me and uh, appropriate other members of the community. Unfortunately, I was not able to make it for the follow-up uh, part two of our Super Smash Bros. special on Sound of Play, but how did it go? How did the recording go? I don't want to spoil anything, but I Mm -hmm. ended up in a fight for my life. You know, it was messy. It was messy. It was very Saw-like in its presentation, but Mm. you'll just have to listen to that podcast to, like, see what I went through. It's I'm living with trauma as we speak. That's very strange. I guess Darren gets very serious about his Smash Bros, so, you know, can't put anything past him. Yeah, I guess. (laughs) It's okay. All right. I won't get into it, but yeah, sure. We'll say it was Darren, maybe. Sound of Play 170. Why don't y'all check it out? I know I will, because I certainly haven't heard it yet. (laughs) Let's get into some video game pitches. I go first today. Speaking of Saw and the eponymous, eponymous? Yeah, eponymous. Jigsaw. I want to make, and this is probably my least creepy idea ever for the Halloween show, so 
Uh, <laughs> listen to episodes one through 50 if you want my creepy ideas, okay? We'll see how we do. So speaking of Jigsaw, I want to do an MMO Jigsaw puzzle that the entire world can come together, <laughs> browser-based, and just put together a puzzle. It's kind of fun, right? All right. Let's start the clock there. Well, I, what I like about this is that feeling of um, sometimes you see a pu- public space puzzle. I don't know how these happen. They happen sometimes in the workplace or they happen maybe at, mm, okay. uh, at places that you've been, community centers, whatever. Like dentist office and stuff like the that. Dentist office is a good location for a community puzzle. You, you see one there. It's half put together and you're like, do I finish it? Or is there somebody who has so many dental problems that they left it for themselves the next time they visit? <laughs> Yeah, it's um, it's very, it's a strange thing to behold because you feel compelled to contribute, right? So the idea of, I love the idea of a big, you know, maybe this isn't the presentation, but a big server list full of puzzles and there's just little previews, right, of how hmm. complete the puzzle is and somebody like going into these rooms and be like, oh, I know exactly, you know, what the next piece is. You'd have to find some way of like, Making enough puzzles so that people don't know them. Have you seen these super difficult puzzles now, the gradient puzzles? Is that just like the the pattern on the pieces or are the shapes of the pieces different? So you can just Google like gradient puzzle, but essentially what you'll get is there are puzzles that just go from like orange at the top to blue okay. at the bottom. And they're just like, that's it. Which is, you know, obviously an extremely yeah. challenging puzzle because so many pieces look alike. There was a puzzle that I saw that is one of the worst things that I've ever seen. It looks like a box of Jelly Belly jelly beans. You open it up as a present and you're like, oh, great, I got a box of jelly beans. And then you realize, oh, no, it's a puzzle. And then you realize, oh, no, it's a puzzle with no discernible attributes. <laughs> it's just kind of a random hodgepodge of jelly bean shapes and colors. Like, great, have fun for the next 40 hours trying to figure this one out. Yeah, it's, um, well, to use the classic video game parlance podcast, uh, sorry, the classic video game podcast parlance, the dark souls of puzzles. <laughs> so, yeah, so if you have a bunch of these things and I get to, like, preview where people are at on the list, maybe I can jump in. I would love the idea of what could video games bring to just puzzles? Well, what I was thinking is... um do you remember that Peter Moleno project called What's in the Cube or something like that by oh, his, uh, yes. Studio 22 Cans? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So that was, people were just like, what was it, God Cube or something? Yeah, people were just peeling away layers, right? Yeah, essentially, that there was this giant cube, and as you tapped on it, like one voxel would be erased. And so everyone would load this up on their smartphones and just be tapping at this because there was supposed to be something special in the center of it. And, you know, there was... Uh, there was just enough room for creative expression. Like you could kind of tap out little patterns that maybe somebody else could find. Um, almost like that. Uh, what was that project on Reddit where they basically just like let people color in one pixel of a grid and they all kind of conspired together to make these beautiful pictures or something like it's super interesting. Yes. I know that I'm not telling it in an interesting way, but like, look it up. <laughs> no, you are. And, what happened there, right, was a bunch of emergent mm-hmm. stuff started to happen where yeah, like yeah. 10 people were all working on one section. What if you made the MMO puzzle that size? <laughs> you right, know, where... like, would it be completely unmanageable? Because like you still have 
some you have to have some semblance of like retrieving a piece and finding where it goes. And if it goes in the middle of like a 20,000 slot grid, you're never going to find it. Right. Right. That's the thing about puzzles that makes it a little bit less ideal is that puzzles are so binary in that every piece is either a right or a wrong answer for the place you're trying to slot it into. Yeah. Whereas if you're just tapping away at a, at a cube, you know, you can do that and turn your brain off and uh, watch TV and tap away on your phone. But with a giant puzzle, like if you choose a piece, then you have to like look for where it goes. Otherwise, you know, I mean, you try to find the, the pair, the, the three other pieces potentially in the, uh, in the entire mix that connect with it. And uh, yeah, if you don't find it, then you're kind of left searching without anything to return for your actions. But I, th- I feel like it has just enough of a hook to kind of get the Twitch plays Pokemon crowd online. Mm-hmm. Um, those people that like to hammer away at something that seems impossible and ludicrous uh, to have this giant puzzle and just the satisfaction of like every connection you can make being like this huge achievement. <laughs> now, I know that a puzzle assembly is a game within itself, but in terms of quote unquote gamifying this thing, here's mm-hmm. a thought. What if you give really powerful sorting tools for like, let's say it's a huge puzzle. Let's say, it, you know, the thousands of pieces. And you give really powerful sorting tools to the people who are responsible for putting it together. So if you go into like puzzle library screen or piece library screen, you can look at all pieces. You like find me one with like three round uh, juts out or something like that or four sides. Mm -hmm. So you get these powerful filtering options. But if you take a piece, you kind of claim it for yourself so it's attached to the user now almost like a piece of loot in an mmo and it's it's point value you get for putting it adding it to the puzzle slowly deteriorates Hmm. right so you're incentivized to spend more time searching for the piece up front and being confident about your choice and choosing that way uh, instead of just like taking a bunch of pieces for yourself, because if you don't use them all in a relative period of time, they're not going to be worth sort of any points or score or achievement for you. Now, not to push back too much, but I feel like that disincentivizes the multiplayer aspect of it. If this is a multiplayer thing, then it's kind of ghost of other people potentially messing up your organization. Uh, you don't want to disincentivize somebody from like taking action when necessary. What if you gave people that sort of Reddit ability to color their own puzzle piece? You could have, <laughs> you could in, like in a micro scale generate many, many pieces of art based on like what people choose to color their puzzle piece. Um, and people, of course, would be like coloring and figuring out. You're like figuring out the piece and you're choosing the color at the same time. So you could end up with these like wonderful Technicolor works that like maybe have all these disparate colors paired together, but they're still making a really vibrant, compelling image. You could have a team of artists get in there and really put together like the equivalent of incredible street art, um, all just working on one particular puzzle because a puzzle will have like size limits associated with it. If you did have like a reference image, then that would kind of undo any point of like 
comparison that you have between pieces, uh, which yeah. is kind of one of the very yeah, important things when you're dealing with puzzles. You don't necessarily want to entirely rely on the the shapes of the little nubbins that come out of the puzzle pieces uh, to determine what goes where. Um, but if it did assemble into like what kind of image would people like intrinsically want to see? Like maybe if it, when you compiled it, it became like a new chapter of a Harry Potter book or something like written by <laughs> JK Rowling herself, or it was a nude picture of Abraham Lincoln or something like that, where it's like, wow, this is historically significant. <laughs> <laughs> well, I, so you just hit upon something that I think would be really cool is if, let's say we're the company putting out this puzzle game or whatever, mm -hmm. to take that opportunity to do a lot of weird and crazy unexpected photoshops and collages. <laughs> and as people like put it together, they're almost Jackbox style revealing a joke. Yeah, right. <laughs> Potentially could be really fun. Or if you do seasonal, like you reach out and you do a collaboration with an artist and say, hey, we want you to do, you know, this month's puzzles. You're going to do 50 puzzles. You just give us the images, right? We can programmatically slice it into puzzle pieces digitally. So the Banksy one destroys itself when you finish it. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> I, I mean, it would it would be so Banksy to like put his next work inside of a like only cursory popular puzzle game that uh, <laughs> random people on the internet are, are playing and appreciating. And then it's missing one piece so you can't ever finish it. That's right. Right on somebody's eye or something. All right. Well, let's close that one down and let's come up with a name for it. I'm sure that there's a lot of good puns we can come up with here. If it's an MMO, mm -hmm. you could do world peace. Oh, that's perfect. <laughs> I love it. That's just the right amount of pun for me. <laughs> All right. World peace. We've solved it. Why don't you top world peace Man. for uh, this playwright page today? <laughs> don't say we didn't bring you a banger on Halloween. World peace is <laughs> the first thing we pitch. Mm -hmm. Okay. So my pitch this week is you get to play, um, hopeful, I think, a first person director who's directing a scene of a movie or a TV show. Only the difference is the scene just kind of plays out, but you can yell uh, cut anytime you want. And when you do yell cut, you can kind of go up to the actors and give them advice and coach them into different types of performance or different ways that lines are delivered. You can even kind of go around the set and uh, tidy things up or maybe mess things up and even tell the camera guy exactly where you want the frame pointed and shot. So it's like a photo mode plus a little bit of a weird physics-y simulator with the set and some interesting dialogue that kind of nudges performance and actors. Um, but each level that you play, and maybe it's, maybe it's just one total level, but let's say it's multiple levels, um, they can each have different scripts. Um, and then once you finish and you say cut and print, um, your scene can kind of go out into the world and you can share it on social media and everybody gets to see the weird, strange way uh, or very artistic and classy way you decided to film and light these particular scenes. All right. And action. So, of course, I've used music from this game on uh, playwrights in the past and we've referenced it many times but uh this makes me think of the movies by Lionhead, a yeah. game where you got to kind of run your own movie studio and... isn't that another that's another monolu joint here 
Yeah, right. Yeah, we're <laughs> on a streak today. Losing one show. <laughs> yeah, but in that one, you got to create your own movies by essentially like choosing from a list of actions, and you can dress up your actors and choose the setting and uh, equip them with props and stuff like that, and basically everything that you needed to do to create an entirely original movie, which is cool, but. This is a different idea, which I kind of, I like the constraints that are put on this, where you're not choosing the script, you're just choosing how to shoot it, which feels so, it's like you're a director that doesn't have creative control yet, but you have yeah. like enough, like maybe you're just like the DP or something where you uh, you don't have the control over the content, but you have control over how it's shot and what performances are being made and everything like that. So I'm I'm into that. I think that uh, story-wise, uh, I feel like this plays nicely with uh, David Lynch's Mulholland Drive, where there's this director who's kind of being jerked around by studio execs and people that are kind of like behind the scenes, the higher levels, uh, higher ups in Hollywood, kind of meddling with his production. And essentially, it feels like he's lost control over the movie that he's trying to make. And he's casting people he doesn't want to cast because that's who the powers that be instruct him to. Yeah, And, uh, you know, it's, uh, maybe there's this aspect of you're not given control and that is a conflict. Like if you had full creative control, then you, the character would be happier. I don't know. You know, you always hear these stories from actors about, <laughs> you always hear these stories from actors. I talk to actors all the time, um, <laughs> in like DVD commentary and stuff. Like some directors are, for, are notorious for making you go take after take after take. And of course mm -hmm. that tires an actor and gets a different uh, performance out of them. This would require some new level and impossible new peak to be hit um, for the, the amount of times uh, or the amount of ways uh, something could be voice acted, which is why you'd have to really control the scope uh, to make sure that like 2000 right. lines of dialogue is kind of the entire spectrum you're painting with in one of these things. But if you could execute in a way of like coaching an actor, make it like, tell him like, make it funnier, make it funnier and tell her, make it sadder, make it sadder and just watch these like two performances diverge from each other until you get the, <laughs> that like Lynchian uh, surrealist, like what are even these actors doing anymore? Sort of uh, <laughs> feel to the whole thing. And especially with like, uh, if you get a great, camera mode in there you have Hitchcockian uh camera angles and maybe you have like another director's inspired lighting like that as a general playground plus the like strangeness of the performance I think could be could really like show like a community all the different ways to look at a certain thing and find these new and unexpected combinations that would would actually make you go I can't believe that works right that is really cool. Even if, you know, all of this retaking of the scene and the changing of performances and stuff like that, that's super cool. That feels like uh, difficult to achieve on a smaller budget. And so I'm not saying no to it. I'm just saying that like, yeah, if we had to work within scope, that would be the first thing to go. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. One scene, only one scene you get. Right. But, uh, you know, if, if the performances are identical every time and all we have control of is placement and movement of the camera and the types of lens that you're using and the edit after it's done, like yeah. even that is enough to really come up with some really creative stuff. And I would love to see essentially like 
you know, maybe there's a, like every month, there's a new scene that's being filmed. And sometimes it could be like a original scene from a movie. Maybe it could be like a commercial for like lifesavers or something like that, uh, which you could make a little bit of extra money back that way. (laughs) And just like see all the crazy weird ways that people shoot and edit this. Like people could take it in like, it's not the most highbrow reference, but I'm always really impressed by like YouTube poops where people (laughs) take like a scene usually from a SpongeBob and remix the elements in such a way that it makes it look like it's talking about something entirely different. It's like, that's just, you know, even though it's not highbrow entertainment, like it's super fascinating how people are able to do that. And like, what compels people to experiment in these ways? Yeah, I think one YouTube poop, I didn't know that was the name of them, that my <laughs> brothers have sent to me at some point was um, something to do with the Fresh Prince of Bel-Air, mm-hmm. where just through volume and editing, they <laughs> they just really emphasized, yo, Uncle Phil, you need to kick that man's but and like it like echoes and <laughs> rings throughout the scene um and it you know it recontextualizes stuff if you could do that I, that is exactly what i'm trying to evoke here because that so much of memification uh of of culture happens through reframing of something that you know wasn't potentially intended a particular way so yeah maybe these are just baked things and okay we leave the actors alone but you know if they're high quality see you know just imagine a um a detroit become human quality of like character (laughs) model delivering a particular scene with these realistic actors i thought you were going to say a uh, detroit become human quality character i'm like well (laughs) well i don't know about that okay h (laughs) i'll also like let's throw this into the mix Go the hitman route, and instead of elusive targets, you do <laughs> famous people, and you mm-hmm. get like, you know, Sean Bean to come in and do a scene, <laughs> and you get like, you know, Patrick Stewart and all these like different actors and actresses to come and give these performances. Maybe they're just as simple as monologues, even, right? They can be that simple and controlled, and it's just through the community directing you can imagine somebody like deciding to hang a a thing in the set by a string and kind of just like wiggle around the actor and be really strange you know turn something that seems like shakespeare into sci-fi depending on how it's lit i always enjoy and there's uh, there's like an inherent joy to giving uh being given free reign of a camera and having it reflected in the game world or at least being told that it matters even if you know that it really doesn't but when your character is a photographer in a game i always get so much joy out of specifically taking really really bad pictures <laughs> so like if <laughs> yeah. i'm supposed to be shooting somebody for a magazine or something like i'll take close-ups of their nostrils or you know take a picture of the president's butt or something like that and it's like that's just like, I know that the game doesn't understand that I'm doing something stupid, but like right. to me, just imagining this story play out the way that it's happening on screen is <laughs> funny. <laughs> well, and it also creates a situation where games usually give you generic feedback about those things, right? So you'll take mm-hmm. a picture of like the inside of somebody's nose and you'll hear like, the person who told you to take the picture say something like great work <laughs> so it's oh that's always strange where it's like get a picture of my outfit and then you grab a picture of like 
their head is barely in frame. Yeah, and like the person behind them. And then they like superimpose that onto a magazine cover or something like that. It's like, yes, I broke the game world. <laughs> yeah. Um, <laughs> I recognize that this isn't necessarily a video game in terms of we haven't introduced scoring uh, or, you know, the strategy of how to quote win. But I think winning in this scenario looks a little bit more like putting together something in a way that maybe nobody's really seen before or building out your own portfolio and like giving yeah. people a program playground that they, they would normally only get in like a 3d modeling program or, right. um, you know, advanced software. So now we've uh, floated this idea before in a previous show in which we pitched a, uh, a game in which you play a war photographer, but I think it's somewhat more interesting if you, the player have to consider the character's physical physical space in the world. And so if you want to get a moving shot, then you have to place dolly tracks and you can't like go through an actor, you know, all these things that like a, a free floating video game camera can do. You yeah. have to be constrained to reality and the limits there within, you know, kind of getting this more um, simulation sense of it to, to put some level of boundaries on everything. Yeah, I think you'd have to, yeah, you'd have to respect the space. So whether the camera has a physicality to it, like could potentially bump things in the scene and ruin a take right. um, is kind of cool. <laughs> well, let's close that one down and let's come up with a name for it. What are we going to call this one? We could continue a pun roll and I, I have written down here the only two words that I could think of. Real director. Real director. You could guess how real is spelled, I assume. Yeah, all right, cool. Well, let's go now to our community. Again, just like last week, we do not have anything in our inbox, but let's go to something a little bit spookier. Mm. Let's go to an actual urban legend from the world and uh, try to make a video game out of it. So what I'm bringing today is a legend from around the kind of northeast part of the United States an urban legend, uh, I mean, presumably a true story because it's, it doesn't feel like anything supernatural. So um, let's go into the legend of the Leatherman and Ooh. see where this takes us. Sometime in the late 1850s, residents of Connecticut and eastern New York State started to notice a mysterious wanderer making his way through their towns on a semi-regular basis. He was clad head to toe in handmade 60-pound suit of leather. He didn't speak much. When he did, he sounded French. He always slept outdoors in makeshift shelters, and he always kept moving. After more than 20 years of sporadic wandering, people started to notice a pattern. It was determined he was walking in a 365-mile loop every 34 days. It was said that you could set your watch by him. He continued this solitary trek for roughly the last six years of his life, until he succumbed to cancer of the lip and jaw in 1889. He was found dead in one of his shelters, and he took the secrets of his life with him. Let's begin our journey with the Leatherman. Now, Q, you're from the Northeast, so is this a story that you're familiar with? I've never heard of the Leatherman. I'm very spooked by the Leatherman. <laughs> um, no, I've never heard this, and and it feels so distinct. You you think I would? Now, I, I remember, because I've done some research into urban legends throughout the United States, and there was a, there was also like an old darner or something is what they would call him. He's like a guy who would basically also 
make like a giant loop throughout the year. And uh, he would just wear the same clothing and would darn it um, with, uh, with other pieces of fabric whenever it got tarnished and uh, it kind of grew to be a very eclectic looking coat that he was wearing. But yeah, this old Leatherman, I've heard the story before and it's interesting because it's, it is kind of creepy in that you don't really know what he's up to. That feeling of not knowing why somebody is doing something that they're doing, but yeah. it's also, there's nothing threatening about it. You know, as, as much as yeah. a old guy just walking around in the woods seems kind of scary. Like there's not like any stories of him attacking people or anything like that. So he seems to be a pretty chill dude. I love the idea of this, this man, for some reason we, we don't know, but he is cursed, Mm -hmm. right? He is doomed to walk this path over and over. Um, Maybe it's for something that he did. Like you could see this mapping on to that, almost bloodborne like uh experience where you're kind of going in these loops and you're learning these this same 365 miles over and over and and maybe each time you go through the loop it's different there's a lot of games that kind of fit into this general mold there's the the path the path is a game made by tale of tales and essentially it's a, a little red riding hood type story but there are like eight sisters that you guide through. And it's basically you're on a path in the woods going to grandma's house. And each of these eight sisters has like a slightly different personality. And you can kind of either follow the path or you can deviate into the woods. You encounter a wolf, which is like a metaphor for something that had happened to this girl in her life or something like that. And so it's this way of telling all of these um, interesting character pieces by basically wandering through a space, presumably kind of procedurally generated kind of around this character's story. Uh, It's kind of a metaphorical space. Uh, There's also the uh, recent game where the water tastes like wine, which is all about kind of freely wandering throughout the United States and just kind of encountering stories and kind of it makes stories a mechanic of the game where you hear stories and they become like items that you own now. And then you can use those uh-huh. stories to influence other people in the world. So, uh, yeah, there's there's a lot of interesting games about just walking around. I mean, maybe the answer is just simple. Maybe it's uh, practicality. But why the leather outfit? Hmm. Like that to me suggests something a little bit more, I don't know if dark or sinister is the word, but something... I think we get the association with like a leather face from the Texas Chainsaw Massacre. Yeah, yeah, you do. Where he's wearing like people's skin. But I I do like, even if it's not human skin, because, you know, I don't know how scary I want to make this person. But uh, Because you know, Leatherman is not just a cool guy with a leather jacket. In my mind, I'm like, right. hey, where's leather pants and leather jacket? It really, he's kind of stinks <laughs> real bad. That's right. He's, uh, he's like the Fonz, essentially. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> hey, but, uh, yeah, there's something kind of, of the earth about leather as well, where if you're a skilled enough, you know, worksman, like you can make leather out of cows and out of animals and stuff like that. And so maybe you do have to kind of build your own, I I guess that's every survival game where you have to build everything that you need to survive. But like, it's like a cross between a typical survival game and a monster hunter where as you hunt things down, you not only get their nutrients, but you also get to like add their bodies to whatever you're wearing. (laughs) Oh man! So, you know, uh, something big like a bear would be like a huge 
get because that has like not only a ton of meat, but also, you know, enough fur to keep you warm for the entire winter. But, you know, you get to walk around in a big bear costume, essentially. Uh, and I mean, something you're smaller dealing... like a rabbit. Yeah. Easier to kill. Not as much reward. Right. Even if it's as simple as durability, like surely this trek uh, over and over is going to wear on your body. It'll wear on your outfit for sure. So like, I'm wondering how maybe what you wear could play into this. Like, right. If you're on the same loop and let's say, let's tie it to days, 365 days. Well, on the East coast, some of those are going to be winter. Like you have to have the appropriate stuff uh, on to survive that. You know, what would be interesting as well is if, um, is if the passage of time of your character doesn't correlate with the passage of time of the earth. And so as you make this 365 mile loop, the towns that you enter over and over again, like progress by decades rather than by years or something. And so you get to kind of see the development of a town. You can choose to settle down, but to keep your route, you know, you're only given so much time that you can spend in each town. And uh, maybe it's like, maybe, well, that's a little uninteresting if you had to follow a straight line and you couldn't go backwards and everything like, you know, that would be, you just hold W and (laughs) And you're done. Yeah. Essentially. (laughs) Well, I mean, if every town you encountered maybe had people to talk to or some small tasks to do, then as you, you go to towns and you like come back and by the next time you hit the town, so many years or so much time has passed that you hear stories that you know to be untrue or exaggerations Mm -hmm. of things that you did the first time, right? You, you go from yourself being a stranger to yourself being the legend, the, the urban legend, Leatherman. Slender Leatherman, because <laughs> this is a spooky episode. This was like a telltale style adventure game where you could really meet the characters. You could learn about them. You can follow the entire lineage of a family as you make laps around. You can influence things between towns. Maybe you make the rounds more frequently than the postage carriers do. So people will send messages with you and give you tasks to accomplish things that they want you to bring back from other towns or messages to loved ones or something like that. And uh, yeah, you can kind of determine the the course of these people's lives, like in the choices that you make, like, do you deliver a uh, wedding proposal, marriage proposal? I suppose it would be not just for the wedding. (laughs) Uh, Would you, would you choose to reunite somebody with their child who's in the next town, but they don't know it and uh, just kind of see how the paths diverge based on the choices you make. That could be interesting too. And if somebody in one town like passes away and mm-hmm. you have to choose whether or not you're going to deliver that to the next town, because by the next rotation or whatever, it's not going to be available to you. Yeah. Let's close that down. Let's leave people with something to think about. And uh, I guess just calling it the old Leatherman seems like an appropriate title for this game. Uh, as, as a good homage to the actual person, presumably. Yeah, so I guess I wait it. for that to pop up on an episode of Lore one day. <laughs> Learn more about it. Uh, anyways, if you would like to contribute a video game idea or basically any idea to the podcast, then you can do that by going to playwrightcast.com slash pitch. 
You can email us, playwrightcast at gmail.com, or you can tweet us at playwrightcast. Yeah, H and I have a lot of sources that we can pull from and a lot of inspiration to jolt us, but the thing that really gets us up the most is reading the stuff that you guys write, and we love hearing it. And and we've gotten 70-ish episodes of you doing it, so let's keep it going. Mm-hmm. Um, and while you're coming up with your idea, why not listen to some music? That that helps me. I always music all of my ideas, and just like the music that gets kind of added to the show, thanks to Master H over here. And I listen, a lot of the times, to Protodome. That's right. <laughs> Our theme song is Hello World. It's off the album Blue Noise. And you should go give it a listen. All right. And we're going to close out with a small pitch today. What I'm going to close this out with is you have to manage a church. So whatever that entails and however you choose to do it, you have to manage a church. Love Just it. in time for Halloween. <laughs> <laughs> oh, well, maybe next year. <laughs> uh, we'll see you next week, everyone. Bye. Bye.